Welcome to Ashamed of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's grand Mac of a TV show, like Game of Thrones. My name is Doug, with me as always is Brian, and Brian, have you tried the new Grand Mac? It's like a Big Mac, only bigger? No, I haven't. Uh, I did not, <laughs> not a huge fan of the original Mac, so I don't know if I want more of it. Uh, yeah, I just found out about it because we have a mutual disgusting friend who uh, was excited for it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. I know him, and I know he's probably excited. <laughs> yep. All right, so we're back to wrap up season uh, three with uh, Misa. Um uh episode 10 uh and episode 10s are normally like a coming down or kind of uh denouement for the season uh this didn't disappoint either in that um i guess expectation uh lots of slow wrapping up and taken out of context just watching this it was a real drag for me i don't know about you i actually thought this one was pretty good oh, uh, of course or at least it, there were some good scenes in it um but it definitely was uh, it was a longer episode. I don't know why it was an hour and 11 minutes, I think, was the total runtime. Oh, really? Um, yeah, that explains Yeah, that. I don't know why they didn't save that for the episodes with more action. But, no, I thought there were some really good scenes in this episode. Uh, uh, I, I like this one. So Okay, and that actually makes sense because I remember mark, remarking, uh, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, that the last episode was kind of shorter than normal, the Red Wedding episode, mm-hmm. surprisingly enough, even though we talked about it for fucking two and a half hours. Um all right, so that makes a little bit of sense. So already a little bit of derision here, but uh, you know we'll sort it out, guys. That's what we do. Okay, so uh, the episode starts with uh, Bruce Bolton ascending the um, walls of the twins to look down on the destruction that is happening below. It looks like a real mess from up there. All I see is a bunch of fire. I can't make out anything else. But it turns out as they cut to below, we get to see a lot of carnage. Uh, basically, Winterfell guys being killed. Um, some guy missing his legs. Uh, the phrase burning a whole bunch of tents. Um, and we see Arya and the Hound making their way through the chaos below. And they come upon um, Greywind's head mounted on Rob Stark's body while the Freymen uh, hail him as the King of the North, uh, which is rather shocking. Uh, and then it kind of just fades out from there. It's basically the, the, the immediate aftermath of the Red Wedding. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Uh, good opening. It kind of answers the question, what else has happened? But also, like, at the end of the last episode, you thought to yourself, well, at least I got through the Red Wedding. At least that's over. And it comes back to this, like, it just keeps being pounded into you. And then you see the Rob with his direwolf yeah, head on. rubbing your face I mean, just, right into it. Yeah, awful. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think it's pretty true to the book um, yeah. for the most part. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, besides Arya being there to witness it all. Um, yeah, because she she gets hit in the head with the back of the axe or back of the head with an axe, and then we don't. She just wakes up somewhere else outside of the the twins. But on that, yeah, right. it's pretty uh pretty true to the books. But yeah, they're rubbing her face in. And I I just thought about Arya the whole time, going, man, if she wasn't a little psychopath before, this will make anybody a psychopath. But she already had some psych uh psychopathic um inclinations before this. Have we talked about several no. times? No question. And, you know, the uh, the desecration of Rob's body, I think, is another level of how shitty the phrase are. I don't remember seeing that sort of thing. Although, I mean, other than uh, things that were like uh, heads on spikes or, or things that were made to be like political messages, this is, this is just like, not only did they do the Red Wedding, now they're just screwing with the corpses. I and mean, it's pretty sick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Phrase are good people. No, uh, that's a bold stance to take in 2017. Yeah. But hot takes. Yep, hot takes. Em. All right, so what happens next? 
Uh, Tyrion and his future child bride are strolling around uh, King's Landing. Tyrion uh, also has a shit list just like uh, Arya. Uh, Sansa preaches tolerance, but uh, Tyrion's not hearing it. Shay's trailing behind, kind of giving Tyrion the stink eye throughout. Tyrion wants to blackmail the people on his uh, on his shit list. Uh, specifically, one dude has some perversions or may have some perversions. Uh, I think it's a cray call, if I'm not mistaken. Sansa wants to get revenge on the, the people on the shit list by stuffing their mattresses with sheep shit, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, also very humorous. And then Pod arrives to tell Tyrion it's time for a small council meeting. Yeah, I did like the one thing I liked about the scene. And I didn't like it at all. But the one thing I liked about this scene was um, the direct comparison between Arya and Joffrey, because we get uh, Tyrion keeping a list uh, of his shit list and remembering names, just like Arya does. And then Sansa says, "What are you going to kill them?" And he goes, "Oh, I'm not a monster. I'm not like Joffrey." So, uh, but that's exactly what Arya does. So we get a direct comparison between the two. So that's I thought that was interesting. Um, that Arya yeah, is basically nice a monster, just like she's mm-hmm. no better than Joffrey, which is kind of uh, dark and cool. Um, also, but absolutely not true. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, Joffrey has no reason to be an asshole. Besides, I guess his. Uh, incest blood, I guess, if that, that is a real thing, which probably isn't. But, um, uh, yeah, uh, I really didn't like this uh, display of Sansa just being innocent. Uh, I thought it was lazy mm-hmm. and uh, just a way for them to bond as a couple, which gets ruined at the end um, when Sansa learns about the Red Wedding. Um, but, yeah, sl- uh, sheep shit is sheep drift, I think is what uh, they call it. I don't know. I, did, I didn't really, didn't really care. <laughs> yeah, I don't really care either. I'm just, I'm trying to flesh this out a little bit more because I didn't like this scene either. Um, <laughs> so the wacky talking about it. Yeah, I guess. Uh, you know, you got to talk about it. You got to fill. We got to fill some space for the fan. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, after that, uh, we follow Tyrion into the small council meeting. After him, him being, uh, he was hailed by. Um, uh, what's his nuts? Um, Podrick. Podrick. And Podrick was giggled at by some girls because all the ladies know that Podka, uh, Podrick is really good with the sex. Um, he brings but, the heat. Yep. <laughs> the thunder, I would think. <laughs> uh, but it turns out that uh, everybody, uh, well, especially Joffrey is giddy, uh, and it comes out that they received news of the Red Wedding and Rob Stark's death. Um uh, Joffrey wants um, Walder Frey to send him Rob Stark's head so that he can present it to Sansa at the wedding feast. Uh, Cersei is ineffectual at trying to calm him down uh, or keep Joff's behavior in tow. And Tyrion says that shit is not going to fly and basically threatens Joffrey right to his face that he's going to kill him again. So that's the second time. Um, and this makes Joffrey obviously upset. He says he can torture whoever he wants, Sansa or him, because he is the king. Uh, when Tywin finally uh, steps up and speaks that uh, anybody who, any king that needs to remind people that he's the king is no true king at all, Joffrey doesn't like that either and starts to come at, uh, throw shade at Tywin, which is not a good idea. Everybody in the room gets really quiet. Uh, and Tyrion actually looks like he's enjoying himself uh, by just waiting to see what Tywin's going to do after Joffrey calls him basically a coward for hiding in Casterly Rock as uh, his quote-unquote father, Robert Baratheon, took the crown from uh, the Mad King Ares. Uh, but Tywin, cool as a cucumber, um, dismisses the king and tells him that uh, to be escorted because he's getting sleepy. 
Um, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I enjoyed that. He even suggests uh, Pycelle giving a sleeping drug, and Joffrey protests the entire time, but uh, eventually leaves the room. Tywin dismisses everyone else uh, except for Tyrion, and they have a discussion about the nature of power on one of these uh, strong-arm, dime-store philosophy discussions about power and who wields power. Uh, and they discuss about uh, the morality of the Red Wedding, how Tywin, you know, had to murder a few people to save thousands of other folk. Ty- uh, Tyr- Tyrion calls bullshit. Uh, Tywin says that he does all these things for the family, but it always directly benefits him himself. He asked Tywin when's last time he did something against his own best interest for the family. And Tywin counters, letting you live as a child when I wanted to drown you in the sea, which is pretty fucked up. Uh, but basically, Tywin then commands uh, Tyrion to uh, have a baby again um, with uh, Sansa. And Tyrion returns to his rooms to find Sansa crying, obviously uh, she has become aware of the events of the Red Wedding and is not in the uh, sexy mood time. Yeah, framework. I thought this was a really good scene. I, 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 I guess um, I, I, I definitely like Tywin. I, I liked. Yeah, I like Tywin, and uh, Tyrion is a great actor. Uh, his his face while uh, Joffrey is just going off was amazing. Uh, yeah, great acting here. Uh, I will, I will say it's you great had, acting. Um, I don't know if the writing is great, great, but you had uh, punk ass Pycelle demanding apology on behalf of Joffrey, and it was you know it's interesting that Joffrey brought up the uh, the whole thing about it. Tywin uh, cowering in Casterly Rock, which I think there was some degree of truth to that, in that Tywin did not declare for anyone until the war was all but won, Robert's Rebellion. That's true, uh, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I, Tywin, it looks like, I, I don't think they did as well of a job in the show as in the book. But in the book, I think that the uh, transgression was taken much more seriously by Tywin. Yeah. And I read somebody's description online uh, that the language that Tywin used in the book was akin to when he forced all of the people to rape Tyrion's wife. Like that similar type of just uh, a great punishment was coming. Uh, which did not translate at all in the to show. Joffrey? Uh, yeah, yeah, like he was going to do some, some some serious shit to Joffrey based on what he said in the book. Um, and I, I mean, I don't even remember that from the book. It's something I read online. I, I don't either. Um, but it's always great to see Joffrey get his uh, come up and stuff. Yeah, and he was really, really going off the rails, and he does not know how to read a room. I really liked he did a good he did a good job acting too because he just seemed fanatical, uh, you know, was going off like a you know Hayden Christensen. I guess wasn't that the uh, that's Darth Vader, right? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's like you know going off on this little tirade, and I really enjoyed it. And his mom is giving him an out, saying, "Oh, you know, I'm sure you don't really mean to give Sansa." Her brother's head, and he's like, "No, I absolutely mean that." Uh, so I, I love that. That was that was kind of good. So yeah, I guess I enjoyed the scene. Uh, I think yeah, the back half, the back half with uh, Tywin and Tyrion talking, I thought was a little much. That um, we've seen that scene, that that part of the scene before. Yeah, I guess yeah, that's that, probably that, why. It's kind of a trope at this point. Yeah, that's probably why. So yeah, that's probably why I'm not a big fan of it. Mm-hmm. So next we go to Bran and the remaining gang. Uh, they are holed up in an abandoned castle. Apparently, it's a, an abandoned Night's Watch castle. The Night Fort. Bran, 
Oh, it's the Night Fort. Okay, I don't. I didn't recall uh, hearing them. I don't know uh, if they say exactly that, which one. That's what it is. Continue. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Brand tells the story of the Rat King, and uh, I will spare the listener the repeating the entire story. But the point of the story is that uh, breaking guest rights, as Walter Frey did, will curse a family, anger the gods. It's. Uh, I think it's meant to illustrate just how bad what Walter did was, uh, which ties directly into the next scene. Very good. So that's a good transition. Let's. There's not much to say. So the kids are just camping out at night for. Uh, I guess plotting their next move to get north, they just want to look. They just want a place to stay. But yeah, we get this the story of the Night's King or the the Rat Cook rather, and they just transitioned right into Walder Frey eating. So you know they they can't be uh, any more blatant about the comparison here. Uh, Walder Frey is basically eating while he's bitching about not getting any respect, like Rodney fucking Dangerfield, while his servants are cleaning up the blood from the Great Hall. Uh, in the aftermath of the Red Wedding. Roose Bolton's there hearing it all, and um, he comments that the Blackfish got away. Um, uh, Walter Frey doesn't seem that concerned, continues to bitch, uh, while Roose Bolton complains that Rob never listened to his advice either. If he would have just listened to me occasionally, but he, at every turn, uh, blah, blah, blah. Walter asks uh, if Roose will take up uh, residence in Winterfell, and he says eventually, but it's in ashes, and he... And uh, Walter Frey's like, yeah, what did happen there? We never really heard what happened. He said that uh, he sent his bastard to take care of things. He told him to handle it peacefully or something like that, but his bastard has his own way of doing things, and that's how they end it there. Yeah, the, the Walter Frey is such a petty motherfucker. Oh, yeah. You know, and he, and the, uh, idea Can you imagine that, like, if Walter Frey looking- had Twitter? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and if he wanted to make Westeros great again, um, he, he's, he's like thinks that people don't like him because he marries young brides. It's not that he is a complete piece of garbage and betrays people left and right and has no seems to have no alliances other than to his own family and his own uh, pleasures. Uh, his level of obliviousness is, is pretty great. I liked uh, Roos's level of like pragmatism and not really caring about like social norms just being very matter of fact like the way he was matter of fact about uh, marrying a woman just to get a large dowry um yeah in the previous i think episode. he might be uh he might be have like mental illness or something because he never smiles he doesn't seem to have any uh any social cues or anything i think he might be some kind of uh i know i'm just tossing around this word cavalierly but sociopath or psychopath or you know, uh, he, there's something wrong with him. No, you've read that psychological book that de- defines all the mental illnesses, and you've yeah, the sure DSM. That's sure. what it is. DSM no, I know three, it very well. yeah. uh, third edition. Anyway, uh, but yeah, Roose Bolton's a lot creepier in the book because he has a certain look to him. Uh, he whispers Ooh. everything, forcing people to like shut the fuck up and like uh, pay attention to him. He also gets leached on a regular basis, which makes him creepy. He doesn't drink. He drinks like milk <laughs> or something. You don't trust somebody who doesn't drink. Uh, but just all sorts of like weirdness, and I feel like Roos is somewhat not um, a forbidding char- like a formidable character in the show. At least he doesn't really seem uh, like I'm not scared of Roos Bolton in any way in the show. I think no, especially uh, juxtaposed against his crazy ass son. Right? Uh, yeah, he's so uh, yeah he's. He's not very scary compared to Sun. 
Yeah, so. he's, he's just not that scary or that interesting, really. He's just he's he, he's likely to betray you. That's about it. Yeah. So now we have another uh, fun transition. Uh, it's, it goes from uh, from Walter Frey's plate to Ramsey e- eating a sausage in front of Theon. This is, of course, after oh. chopping off Theon's wang. Very clever. Uh, you'll probably note that D&D wrote this episode. No. Uh, Ramsey, yes. <laughs> Ramsey speculates on whether eunuchs uh, have uh, phantom wangs. Uh, then Theon begs to be killed. Ramsey declines because Theon is very important to his cause. Ramsey approaches Theon and gets weirdly close to him. I'm not entirely sure what was going on there. Uh, but Ramsey then christens Theon Reek. Theon is initially reluctant to adopt his new moniker, Reek, but then uh, Ramsey helps him by beating him into <laughs> submitting to the name Reek. This is just fucking awful. I can't, I can't yeah. tell you how much I don't like this scene or anything. It's just show invention crap. Uh, so plus, not to mention the Kunta Kinte like references here. Uh, and for our younger viewers, that's uh, there was a made-for-TV movie or miniseries in the seventies called Roots, um, and the slave master mercilessly beats a uh, young slave, telling him his name is now Toby. Uh, and he defiantly says it's Kunta Kinte, I believe. I can't remember. But anyway, it's it's just not well done here. Uh, and the sausage and the wiener thing is just pretty, uh, pretty gross. Um, it's, ju- it's very juvenile. I mean, there's no it's juvenile uh, and not scary. Like, it's not really. Yeah. I feel like it's juvenile to the point where it's taking away any kind of fear or uh, diabolic nature to it. Like. Yeah, it's just juvenile. This is something like a thirteen-year-old boy would do, uh, or or write. God, these guys right. are terrible. Um, plus, the uh, this is how the origin of how Theon is reek. That's ridiculous. That's just dumb. So yeah, uh, a lot of build up for nothing. I mean, he tortures a guy into you know into adopting and to not he, he adopts the name to not be tortured. I mean, what do you do? You know? Right. Yeah, what's where's the uh, where, where's the uh, d- uh, drama here? What is he going to stay strong until until what he just gets beaten more? Like there's no end in sight. Uh, Doug, like I don't he know. can hold out till uh, the cock crows or something where the uh, he's going to be rescued. This is just dumb. Uh, but yeah, just a quick backstory. Uh, Reek in the books was Ramsey's original play toy kind of like partner in crime. Basically uh, a disgusting street rat slash hobo that Ramsey would take <laughs> on his uh, adventures hunting women. And, uh, you know, he'd hunt down the women and kill them, and Reek would have sex with the bodies or do equally disgusting shit. Anyway, he was captured uh, when it was thought that he would get captured. Uh, Ramsey posed as Reek, and dressed up Reek as Ramsey, and Ramsey and Reek got killed dressed as Ramsey. Uh, this is all getting very confusing, so I'm going to try to sum it up. But basically, Ramsey posed as Reek, being Reek number two, when he was in Winterfell and gained Theon's trust, um, and then betrayed him and turned him into Reek number three, Reek 3.0. Um, that's probably a terrible explanation. Read the goddamn books. I don't want to. Agreed. It is a terrible explanation. But the larger point is that Reek was interesting in the books, or at least the all of the Reek stuff. And so they essentially took like the they made up terrible parts to this whole story and then cut out the interesting parts of the whole thing. I guess, um, yeah, that's a more succinct way of saying that it's not. Very yeah, 
Thank you. Yeah, Thank they you, show Brian. the torture and the transition and instead of all the interesting backstory, it's just it's fucking idiots sometimes. Yeah, it's just this so, is not good uh, television here. No. Okay, so shock for shock's sake. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Exactly. And that's that's just it's not good. It's it's hack. Mm-hmm. Um, so the little rascals are asleep at the night fort and Bran hears something and wakes the rest of the group up. Um, the wolves sense the danger as well. Uh, and up from the well or hole in the ground emerges a dark shadowy figure. Uh, the figure turns out to be Sam, uh, closely followed by Gilly, uh, informs them that he's a brother of the night's watch. Sam sees the dire wolf and surmises that it is Bran, John's brother, uh, and lets him know that he knows his brother, John. Um, uh, Bran expresses his intention to go north and Sam says he's fucking crazy, uh, pleads with him to go back to Castle Black, uh, which makes all the sense in the world. And Jojen says that they are aware of the White Walkers and the Army of the Dead, which shocks Sam. Uh, but, uh, Jojen insists that that's the reason they have to go north is to fight them because the Night's Watch can't help in that fight. Yeah, that's it. Yep. I think this is pretty true to the pretty true to the book uh, that they meet. Uh, heck of a coincidence, it seems, but also, but when you think about it from the context of actual number of castles that are on the wall, uh, well, it's not too preposterous. And, it's not, and when you think about it in the context of, in the books, uh, Gilly and Sam were led there by a servant of the Three-Eyed Raven, and the Three-Eyed Raven yes. is communicating with Jojen and Bran at this time. Uh, there's no commit coincidence at all. This was engineered oh, that's by good the point. Three-Eyed Raven. Period. So yeah. in the book, in in the book, it makes a lot more sense. In the show, it just seems like happenstance or coincidence. Um, so way to go, Dan. And Dave. No question. Pieces of crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, really not much happening here. Uh, you know, another situation where you know instead of having a real conversation or argument. Uh, it's just a lot of platitudes. No, I must go north. Don't try to talk me out of it. No, don't go. I'm still going to go. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, this is, I mean, I think this is kind of a check-in scene. Sure. Uh, you know, to, to in, in the, uh, and I, do we see them again? I, uh, uh, yes, we see them one more time. One more scene in this. I mean, after this episode, do uh, we, is this, is oh, this yeah. where we stop seeing Bran for You're right, uh, I the entirety uh, of his puberty, it seems? Well, I don't know if it's season four or season five when we stop checking in with Brand. I think it's season five. Yeah. So I think, okay. yeah, Got because it. we see him in season uh, four and that's when Jojen gets blown up by, um, uh, Oh yeah. 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 The yeah. Children of the mm-hmm. forest grenade. Um, yeah. <laughs> pretty great. I can't, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, next we go to the iron islands. Uh, Balon is checking his mail. He's received a message and package apparently <laughs> from Ramsey. The letter tells uh, Balon to order all of the Iron Islanders out of the north and sent Ramsey's or uh, Theon's Wang as a message. Um, the letter continues on to threaten to send more pieces of Theon unless Balon withdraws his troops and gives up the land that he's captured in the north, which I don't even know that we know that he's captured anything in the north. Um, Balon wants to just forget Theon. He uh, Balon is upset with Theon because Theon disobeyed Balon. And uh, has also now he can't make any babies because he doesn't have a wang, so he's kind of worthless to Balon. Balon refuses to withdraw his troops where he has made inroads in the north, but Yara's not having it. She assembles uh, 50 good men and, as part of a montage, uh, almost an 80 style montage, 
where uh, she's on a boat and she's going to get Theon back. Um, she wants to give Balon back his son. Yeah. Uh... So, uh, in I mean, uh, here's I'm going to go into crackpot theory time, but um, in the book and also in the show, we never get concrete verification that uh, Theon has been castrated. Now, uh, there's very little reason to doubt it, um, and I have no, I have no doubt that a wiener did arrive <laughs> in the mail <laughs> at uh, the Iron Islands. But uh, you know, just showing Theon with a bloody crotch, I think would have sold it a little bit better. But regardless, there's all sorts of theories that uh, Theon had children before he was castrated, uh, and if he ascends to the Iron Islands, uh, he will have heirs. Uh, but regardless, that really doesn't matter now. Uh, I just think the like uplifting music with uh, Yara going to find Theon uh, really hits the misses the mark here. Like, I, I don't think we've got any sympathy for Theon yet. Um, at least I don't. Um, no. So like Yara being duty bound or honor bound to get her brother back and launching this uh, rescue mission, uh, rescue mission, uh, just seems really lost on me. Um. And I feel like it, it it fails because they have this yeah they have this uplifting swelling music and you're just like I'm gonna take fifty of the best killers and basically circumnavigate the fucking earth. Um, uh, yeah, we won't get into the geography of the whole thing, but it's just a ridiculous plan. Well, the other part of it is I just I never really Theon's a piece of shit. I don't really care about him. I don't really care about Balon. I don't. Oh, you don't care don't about care the about raping culture, raping and stealing yeah. culture of the Iron Islands. That's weird. Yeah, and I, Theon probably does have kids. I mean, he's a noted coxman. I mean, he's <laughs> he he's banging all over. It seems like at least that's the implication we get from the show. Um, so yeah, he probably does have some kids somewhere. Yeah. So mm-hmm. all right. So uh, where are we now? Okay. So Sam and Gilly are with the little rascals in the tunnel, uh, and just the tunnel's just there. There's no magic to it. We'll get into we'll get into that in a second. Uh, but Sam gives the crew some dragon glass and says it kills White Walkers. They ask, how does he know that? He says that because he fucking killed one. And they seem impressed because no one's killed a White Walker, I guess, ever. Uh, or in thousands of years. Uh, Sam particularly gives Mira some dragon glass arrowheads, which come up big later on. No, they don't. It's fucking stupid. And Sam then tries to employ them one more time to not go north. And Bran courteously declines his offer and they head north of the wall out the tunnel. Yeah, that sled that they're using is idiotic. They know what fucking wheels are. I don't understand why they don't get like, <laughs> just, just like chop up a, a part of a tree and make it circular. All right, MacGyver, I'd like to see you yeah. create wheels and tr- make a cart out of wood. Uh, but I think I would, tr- I think I agree with you. I would try uh, because yeah. I'm just dragging them along using uh very inefficient yes using yeah uh, strength. so i'd like to hear your uh your discussion of the the magic door um i'm not as well i'm not as well versed on it so i think you'd be able to offer a better description of why this is important i I don't know if it is important but let's talk about it okay so uh there is a uh this all works out kind of the same way they go down the um the well to the bottom and there's a gate guarded by a door that I guess looks like a weirwood. I don't know. 
um, and it'll only open itself to a man of the night's watch. So basically, or somebody who can recite the night's watch vow, which Sam does, and that's how they get in and out. Um, so it's definitely magic. It's hard magic. Uh, it's Tolkien esque, kind of like what the fuck. Um, and, uh, you know, it gets into the whole cold hands thing. Cold hands couldn't go through that door because it was magic. There's some kind of barrier. Um, but we don't see cold hands here. Uh, I don't know if it really matters. Uh, I can understand why they cut it out. This is, I'm not going to hold them or rick them over the coals for this. Oh, okay. I thought you had something, no, uh, no. something of substance to say. No, no substance. <laughs> uh, that's why I was a little uh, combobulated that you threw that at me. So, <laughs> Well, you would be discombobulated if you were thrown off. If you were composed and ready for it, you would have been combobulated. Uh, so um, people often actually, say that they're combobulated when they... Actually, they I, say I, like, I wondered now if, if combobulated is a word or if it's just discombobulated somehow it sprung up on its own. But listener, we think if the diss is there... Please let us know. <laughs> Somebody who's... Uh, yeah. Is hey, listener, Noam Chomsky, noted linguist, please get at us about this. Um, so, Any, so, know, really, I, I, there's nothing to talk about. It's just... it's. Yeah. I, I feel like this is a needless scene too i feel like this is just chewing up time like they could have all done i feel like they could have done all three of the little rascal scenes in one um you know with uh maybe maybe one transition but uh which is preposterous because the episode is extra long so why yeah. why are they having these stupid filler scenes but yeah whatever yeah. And, and and it was just me to think it was uh like regardless that sam like specifically gave mira dragonglass arrowheads as if it was going to come back. Yeah, I, I thought so too. But apparently, I, I, I mean, I don't remember the uh, the battle of the tree that well. Um, did well, she not I use the, it? I know the battle of the tree well enough to know that it was just zombies, which are the uh, not white walkers. So, Dragonglass uh, yes. is this is what we know about Dragonglass. It's effective on the white walkers or the masters of the dead the uh you know the nordic looking uh old men uh for lack of a better description um so i know they don't see any of them that i recall so it's all a waste unless it comes back in season seven which then i'd forgotten all about it so fuck you um so i just thought it was that'll be a long ways away yeah Yeah. i thought it was a little bit of a waste All right, so we go to Dragonstone next. Uh, Davos visits Gendry in jail. They discuss the recent events. Uh, Davos tries to relate to Gendry, and apparently they share somewhat similar background stories, including both having lived near the royal sewer. Uh, Davos asks Gendry uh, why he was seduced, and Gendry, of course, wanted to get his freak on. Uh, Davos uh, discusses, tells uh, Gendry about how he became a lord, and uh, Davos, he only became a lord because of his kids. He wanted to make sure that his son didn't live in the same abject squalor that he did. But now his son is dead because he followed Davos into war. Yep, not a huge fan of this scene either. I think it was uh, wheel spinning and a weird attempt to get them to bond. Um, and mm-hmm. Davos doesn't need another. If he's if Davos is a good person, which he is, he doesn't need to get a personal bond with Gendry to know that killing him is wrong. And I feel like that's what the scene is there to do: is to show that Davos is going to free him later, uh, yes, and risk his life, not because it's the right thing to do, because they're pals. 
Um, oh, I think it's the right thing to do. I, I think that no, this, I think that, it's the right thing to do. But why do you need this scene? I feel like uh, when you think about uh, the economy of the the hour and fifteen minutes or whatever yeah. they used, why do we need this scene? There's no reason Davos could have just shown up down there and said, "Prison break, let's go." Yeah, it's just like uh, you're from yeah. King's Landing, right? Then you know, you know about Bowles Browns. Let's go. I don't know. Just like you're an innocent. Yeah, yeah you know. There's no re. There's no. <clears throat> there's no added reason to save Gendry's life besides he is an innocent person about to get sacrificed to a red god by sure. by and somebody I, he's related yes. to. Yeah, and I think that what also happens with some of our frustration with these scenes is that these characters are repeating stuff that we know very well. So yeah. even though the characters don't know it, I don't need to see it again. I mean, there's... There's no reason to write in things from a viewer perspective that we already know very well. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, unless unless they're trying to drive home a point that's very difficult to understand, like some of the magic shit. But this is just these clowns' backgrounds. I mean, it, we know this shit well. Yeah, it just it, – and it goes on too long. It just really does. It's yeah. just a waste. This is, this, is one of those, this is one of those scenes that, like, I've, yeah, wheel spinning, uh, scenery chewing, garbage. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, we got Vari's um, uh, meets with Shay as she's staring off into the sea. Um, <laughs> asks her about uh, when she came to Westeros. She responds that she came at thirteen, uh, and he said, "Oh, it's just a child." And he's like, "She's like, no, I haven't been a child since I was nine. My mother made sure of that. So I guess her mother had her have sex at nine. I don't know. We'll talk about that later." That's uh, great. <laughs> Shay then. Uh, <laughs> Um, goes into this long self-pitying thing about how she has to serve her lover's wife. Varys gives her a diamond necklace and tells her to get the fuck out of Dodge. She says, he, uh, Varys says that he knows that she loves him and is good for him, but at the same time, she is endangering him uh, and she should leave. She then throws the diamonds back at him and then says if he wants her to leave, he can tell him or tell her himself, which I thought was ridiculous because Tyrion doesn't want her to leave. It, I thought this was just Varys acting on his own uh, accord, but uh, that was my impression. I agree, despite your pronoun abuse and that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, him and her. I hope you follow <clears throat> that, guys. <Yeah. laughs> uh, I, 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 never, I always kind of thought that Tyrion might have been behind this, but now that you're saying out loud that this is all Varys... Um, I think you're right. I think you're yeah, right why on would, that. Everything we know about Tyrion is he is a glutton for self-inflicted punishment. Like he wants to, uh, he wants to, he wants the complication in his life. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I also think he wants the best for Shay, and I he's smart enough to know that if she does stay, it's not going to end well. But wouldn't he send Bronn um, or something? Why would he send fucking Baris? Uh, it doesn't make a lot. Yeah, of sense. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, because Varys is probably a better negotiator than Bronn, I, mean, I would guess so. But why didn't this moron just leave? I, I yeah. her, You're right. Her like, obliviousness to, yeah. You, her oblivious you said it before. To, what does she think is going to happen here? Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't need to repeat that conversation. But now, beyond just knowing that it's, or should know that it's the best outcome for her, now she actually has a way to live comfortably if she goes ahead and, goes ahead and leaves. But she... She doesn't, so she ends up dead later, which I'm not. I'm not upset about. Me neither. I hated her from <clears throat> the get go. Yeah, 
Whatever. So next we go to uh, Tyrion and Pod, and they are aggressively drinking after beer, or after drinking after dinner. Pod is falling behind in the drinking. Cersei arrives and asks how, Tyrion how his marriage is going. Tyrion does not think that Sansa deserves to be married to him from the, in the context of it's a punishment. But Cersei says that he needs to shake it off and give her a baby. This is the only way to make or will be a way to make her happy. Cersei describes how her children are the only thing that keeps her from killing herself. Even Joffrey, who she at least tacitly acknowledges that is a nightmare. And then she begins to describe how she remembers that Joffrey was a sweet baby. He was always happy. Um, and that she at least has that memory, despite him being a monster now. They speculate how long things will last, uh, to which uh, Tyrion says that they have many enemies and it will last forever because every time they kill an enemy, two more pop up. I thought this was a pretty good scene um, between the two characters. It's uh, I, I kind of like these moments between Cersei and Tyrion that they're, in the larger perspective, they're always in a power struggle, but they do occasionally have these uh, semi-tender moments where they open up to the other one. Yeah, I feel like I, I, I have to grudgingly agree where I didn't like the scene that much but i did like what you mentioned it seems like cersei is going to him even though it's all threats and bluster and she probably does hate him she's one of he's one of the few people that she like can do this with like <laughs> it sounds really yes. sad it's like uh you know an old man that lives by himself and is just angry at everybody and yells at the postman uh but it postman is probably his best friend uh, kind of thing. I, that's a terrible analogy, but you know what I mean. I'm trying to get at like there is some camaraderie here, or she comes to see Tyrion for uh, like a deeper psychological need that she probably isn't acknowledging. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and also I do like her acknowledging. I mean, we know that she knows that that uh, Joffrey is a monster. Yeah, but I do like her. I mean, acknowledging it out loud or, again or as close as close as she can. Well. I, I don't know that we know that she's as conflicted about Joffrey until, until she describes a little more in this scene, but I think she mentioned it, especially with Tywin not being able to keep him in check and basically knowing that yeah. he's a monster. Uh, but but yeah, I, I, I it's not it's not the worst scene in the world, and once again, it's because you know good acting. You know, I think these guys are both uh, carry their weight, so uh, I don't mind. And I do like uh, again Tyrion aggressively drinking. <laughs> like, uh, you, we know he's an alcoholic and he drinks all day and everything, but I don't know that we've seen this mode where he is just trying to get drunk as shit. Uh, and he's, he's making his pod do it with him and pod doesn't even want to hang with him at all. Uh, so I, I thought that's kind of, that was kind of funny. Yeah. It's alcohol is, is a disease and it's hilarious. Oh, alcohol shut up. Is. You fucking idiot. <laughs> <clears throat> you right. know exactly what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. I'm just giving you yeah. shit. Okay. Uh, Arya and the Hound are walking by a group of soldiers in the woods that, uh, they're Frey soldiers, and they're hanging out by a campfire and doing the thing that Dave and Dan love uh, writing about, uh, making fun of somebody, like doing a... Um, do you remember there was a candidate uh, going for president who made fun of like a disabled reporter? I think at one point. Uh, this oh is yeah, that was shameful. <laughs> shameful. I can't believe that guy uh, didn't amount to anything. But this is the same shit they've done uh, several times. Where I kind of think it's funny sometimes when they mimic somebody. Go, you know, I'm Rob Stark. I can't keep my dick in my pants. You know, when they do shit like that. Anyway, um, 
the soldiers are making fun of uh, uh, Arya's mother for dying screaming, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> the guy's like, oh, she's all, Ugh. It was kind of funny. <laughs> anyway, uh, they also talk about how um, hard it was to get the wolf's head on Rob's body. Uh, Arya sneaks off the horse, the hound's horse, and gets right up behind one of the dudes. Says she's hungry and wants to share the fire, and he tells her to go fuck herself. Says she's got money, and when she goes to give him the coin, which I believe was a Dalhormacolis Dal- Dal- uh, coin, that's how you pronounce it. Uh, he, the guy reaches for it, he drops it, uh, and then she prison shanks the guy like several times, which is pretty cool. Hell great. yeah. I really Lock enjoy- up style. Yeah, all right. And then the hound joins the fray because I guess he feels compelled uh, and quickly dispatches the other four or three or four guys. Um, he asks where she got the knife from after, the, after they're all dead. She says she got it from him. He only seems angry that she didn't <clears throat> warn him first. Uh, which is genuinely funny, and the hound proceeds. I wrote to down eat that exact food. same thing. I like how the hound was only upset that she didn't warn. <laughs> that was great. This is, and this is once again. Uh, I got to give it to Dave and Dan because this is show invention, complete show invention, uh, and it was enjoyable. Right? Yes. Top to bottom. I uh, yeah, I loved Arya's even affect during the entire thing. She was murdered this guy like yep. as in as brutal fashion as possible. Or, one of the more brutal fashions and she just was kind of even tempered. Didn't really seem to give a crap. Picked up her coin was ready to go. I was like how the scene ended with the hound sitting in the background, just munching or whatever <laughs> yeah. the food was. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was and a I, moment of genuine levity uh, and, cathar- <laughs> and uh, catharsis. Is that what they call it? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. The, the, a small measure of revenge against these people. And uh, I, I did like, uh, I do like the hound. You kind of, I mean, when he's contrasted against uh, Arya, I mean, she's a kid. He's just a dude. But when you see him, like, fighting these, like, three or four people, you realize what a fucking monster he is. I mean, yeah. just so big and strong and fast. Uh, that, I always like those kinds of scenes. But they, I love how they're they're a natural pairing, too, because she has that flat affectation after killing someone, not really phased. And he isn't phased at all because he's just sitting there eating their food, which I thought was amazing, too. Like, Yeah. It's just well, all He's around. killed so many people, though. And she's, I mean, this is the, I, her I know, first adult that she's killed. Yeah, but at the same time, they're, they're made for each other, which this is just showing yeah. their uh, <clears throat> weird bonding. Um, I don't know. I just love it. I love it to death. Yeah. Big fan. Good scene. Mm-hmm. So next we go to John. He has stopped to drink after fleeing the wildling raiding party. And apparently Egret is able to locate him somehow and <laughs> draws on him. Uh, this makes no fucking sense, but whatever. Yep. Uh, she's upset. Uh, John tries to explain himself that she knew the whole time who he was and uh, he has to go home now. He has to return home, but he loves her and she won't hurt him. He turns his back to leave and she shoots some arrows into him. Uh, he's able to mount his horse and ride away. Uh, and the scene ends with her crying. This is some fucking stupid stuff. Yeah. So we've we reached the height of D and D show invention uh, and how good it can be in the yeah. previous scene. And now we go to the fucking depths. This is ridiculous as she's there. Uh, and it's obvious that they didn't want to go through any kind of effort to justify it. It's just like, oh, she's right there behind him, waiting for him. Uh, somehow I guess she got a horse or could tell, uh, you know, teleport. She certainly wasn't on a horse when she drew on him. I mean, (laughs) and then the, uh, the whole, uh, it's time for me to go home now. 
uh, we talk about how juvenile these uh, showrunners are. This is what a kid says to a girl at the end of summer camp. You know, this is <laughs> legitimately yeah. what 13 year olds say to each other. I love, you know, I love you, but I got to go home now. My mom's here. Um, this is just awful. <laughs> yeah, Eddie, he's dead right. She knew the whole time that he was loyal to the Night's Watch. I mean, I think that's obvious. I don't know why she's all of a sudden getting upset now. I don't know why she wouldn't say, take me with you. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Uh, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Like, the fact that she didn't realize this was going to happen is past uh, the point of belief. But, yeah, she should have thought that it could be easily justified by thinking that, yeah, he's loyal to Night's Watch, but he's going to be with me somehow. Or take me with her, with him. Um, there you go with the pronouns again. But yeah, she even said as much. I think at one point she says, you know, I don't care, you know, who you're loyal to. You're my man, or something like that. So it seemed like she yeah. acknowledged that fact. But it's uh, it, this is just an excuse to have a soap opera scene, um, you know. Yeah, because uh, I'm sure there's a certain segment of the uh, viewing audience that is invested in the relationship between John and Averett, a la uh, Pam and Jim kind of thing. You, know. uh, you mean um, Tim and um, Dawn? What's that? That's the British office, you fucking naive uh, cunt. Oh, <laughs> language, buddy. Just kidding. Uh, but yeah, the British office is better. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Sam uh, arrives at the Night's Watch, or he's at the Night's Watch, and um, uh, uh, talks to Maester Eamon, I guess, uh, relates his travels and what happened to him. Uh, Maester Eamon asks about Gilly, Gilly's baby, and Sam says it's not his kid, um, um, and says he's a loyal Night's Watchman. Um, he, of course, remembers every word of the Night's Watch vows, Etc., and is protecting Gilly because he protects the realms plural of men, and uh, she is a citizen of the realms of men, so uh, he is being honor bound. Maester Eamon uh, commands uh, Sam to dictate a message and ask if all the ravens are available and make sure that they're all fed because I guess he's got an important message to send out. Yeah, I like how Sam opened up the scene with uh, the phrase, I know how this looks. Probably not the best phrase to use with a blind guy. Um, <clears throat> that was probably intentional. But uh, yeah, this is, uh, I didn't let Sam just greasily sweating during the scene. It was kind of uh, <laughs> weird and upsetting. Uh, yeah, but he, he was, this scene you can actually see sweat on his face. It was really weird. Um, there probably stairs up I, to the. To the I, room, guess, I guess, but it's fucking winter. I mean, it was cold up there. I, but, anyways. Um, yeah, I don't know that this scene uh, conveyed the. I mean, it leads to Master Eamon sending out the messages, but I don't know that it had the import that I thought it actually should have had because this is what leads like certain people to begin believing that White Walkers are actually coming to to the wall, and it was just kind of like yeah, Master Eamon didn't seem roused at all. <laughs> like he should have been like, "This is I knew it. This is coming. Uh, let's yes, this is happening." I don't know. He should have seen. He didn't show any kind of like urgency. I think, right. Right, and that that was my problem with the scene. Um, it's odd, but uh, who knows? Yeah, whatever. I'm not going to belabor it. It's a short little scene, so. Yeah. 
So next, uh, Davos is reading Stannis's mail. Uh, he's reading with Shireen. He's apparently learned how to read fairly there, well. There's no dick in Stannis's mail. Let's acknowledge that. No, unfortunately. Well, we don't know. He didn't open <laughs> everything. Um, so Davos is apparently learning to read pretty well. Uh, Davos and Shireen discuss some stupid book. Uh, Davos receives messages from the previous scene of uh, uh, apparently from Master Aemon imploring noble people for help because uh, the White Walkers are coming. Suddenly Davos hears a bell ringing. So he goes to the Stannis' throne room where Stannis says the usurper Rob is dead. It appears that Mel is actually getting things done. She's making Westeros great again. Uh, Davos protests. Um, it may not have actually been her. It may have just been the, uh, the progress of war. Uh, but even if it was her, we she's evil, and you don't want to take the throne through her evil magic. Stannis ignores him. He's focused on revenge, and he means uh, it's t- he believes it's time to burn Gendry so they can get really start to get some things done. If just a, a couple drops of blood killed Rob Stark, can you imagine what an entire course worth of blood will do? Davos attempts to humanize Gendry to Stannis. Uh, but Stannis just doesn't really care. Uh, and Stannis also brings up that the sacrifice of one person versus a kingdom argument that's been repeated throughout the show. Davos goes down to the dungeon to free Davos or to free uh, Gendry. Davos puts Gendry in a boat and tells him to start rowing. And as far as we know, Gendry is still rowing. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. So, um, yes. Yeah, I th- I think you're right. I think I didn't like this scene because of the arguments that we've heard a million times about, you know, um, kill a few people to save a lot. Um, we've had uh, – Tywin made that same argument earlier in this, this exact show. Yeah, you're right. It's just – it's overly mm-hmm. belabored. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say about this scene. <laughs> Besides, it's a payoff for Maester Eamon's, I guess, letter from the previous scene and um, – yeah. Well, it's interesting that Stannis is taking it seriously, and and, and especially Mel later too is taking it seriously. Uh, it, it, actually, you know what? I don't think yeah, that they yeah, know no, about they that letter to later. Yeah, no, yeah, they yeah, don't yeah, do yeah, it yeah. till later. Mm-hmm. But but still, right? Um, uh, we did get some uh, fun uh, Coach Davos stuff at the end of the scene when he was putting Gendry into the boat, yeah. um, making comment. You know, you're sitting the wrong way. Don't you know how to swim? No, don't fall out of the boat. Yeah. Then do you know, that kind of stuff. Like the mic. Uh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of John Daly quotes in there. Um, there was, yeah, I, th- I thought that the end was pretty fun, but um, yeah, it's just uh, this one kind of fell flat. I agree with you. I feel like the whole Davos uh, storyline in this episode was kind of flat, and I I like Davos, so it's a little rough. Sure, but it was. I mean, it was. I think it was all important to the show. Yeah, I guess it, it, it pushes it yeah. along. Pushes it along. Mm-hmm. All right, so yeah. we got back. Uh, John dramatically arrives at Castle Black and falls off his horse right at the gate. Um, Sam and Pip are there, and uh, they greet him and bring him inside. Not much to say about that. So uh, yeah, John arrives at Castle Black. So in case you were wondering. Uh, Whoop to do, and that's the end of his uh, storyline for the season. Uh, Jamie also arrives at uh, his destination, King's Landing, with uh, uh, Brienne and uh, Kyburn. Uh, immediately, Jamie is given no respect, like Rodney Dangerfield yet again. Uh, <laughs> told to get the fuck out of the way by some commoner. 
uh, because he looks like shit. Uh, he eventually arrives at Cersei's room, and the reunion is less than romantic. Uh, he just he says hello, and he just looks at his thump, and he's like, "Hey, <laughs> this happened." <laughs> Uh, funny story yeah and obviously in the books Jamie doesn't arrive until after Joffrey's death which uh, saves a lot of complications that are going to arise in the show uh, not much to say about both those scenes I don't know they just kind of like are wrapping yeah. up those characters for the season yeah I think yeah I agree with that it's, I thought it was kind of odd that Jamie um, before going to see Cersei didn't clean himself up you think he would do. Uh, he would want to present himself well to his uh, sister girlfriend. Um, yeah. but I guess not. Um, you, you he did look pretty raggedy. Gonna, yeah, you think she's not going to come off any? Uh, she's not going to give it up. <laughs> He's all gross like that, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, that, uh, that was my point. Without putting such a fine point on it, <laughs> sicko. Uh. All right. So next, we go back to Dragonstone, and uh, Stannis and Mel found out about the prison break. They're very upset. Stannis sentences Davos to death, uh, but Davos says that he that Stannis is going to need him. Uh, Davos plays his trump card and gives Stannis the message from the Night's Watch regarding the White Walkers. Uh, Mel has some uh, actual goddamn perspective that the battle between the living and the dead is the only thing that really matters. Stannis said he's made his decision, but Bell, uh, Mel inserts, uh, interjects, and says that Davos is needed, and to which I, Stannis uh, ostensibly agrees. And uh, Stannis exits the room laughing at the irony of the fire god saving Davos. I didn't like this at all. I didn't like the realization, the Mel having this realization in this moment that she burns. Yeah. Did she burn the letter itself in the fire? Um, yeah. Basically, she has a realization that the War of the Five Kings means nothing in the face of this great danger. So that's a big epiphany. And she has all this, like, just very quickly. I didn't like that. Um, and then uh, I didn't like how she's coming to Davos's defense. Um, I, I think that's the way it plays out in the books, but I think it's just handled a little bit clunky here. Um, and it just seems to, uh, not work for me because it seems so quick. I agree with you. Uh, it did not seem like it was, uh, it was built up well enough. I just heard turning all of a sudden and then Stannis just going, okay, well, yeah, uh, whatever. She said I, it, I don't then, have a mind of my right. own. I just listened to my Yeah, advisors. exactly. Yeah. Uh, very odd. And this is like Davos, like this is like Davos' ninth life. I mean, he yeah. he just keeps doing this shit, and 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 uh, Stannis keeps putting up with it. So I don't know. Weird. I, I I didn't really care for it. Yeah, I guess not. Uh, let's see. So uh, we wrap things up as we always do with the most important slash everybody's favorite character, yes. Danny. <laughs> So Danny, uh, her Danny, her dragons, and a shitload of dudes are waiting outside the walls of Yunkai, uh, and I guess they're waiting to see if the people inside uh, decide to come outside and um, you know greet them. Which I think is weird, considering their army already went inside the city and slaughtered a whole bunch of people. So I don't know why the walls are closed. Uh, and they've already been inside no the city. No sense. No, yeah. Yes. Once again, this is an idiot wrote this episode. Uh, eventually, the slaves do exit the city and stand before Danny, um, her servant. Oh, I forgot her name. What's the girl's name? Miss Sandy. Miss Sandy announces uh, Danny with all the titles and says that uh, you all owe your life to her. And uh, Danny says, "No, 
uh, and in a very Lincoln-esque moment says, you know, this is your freedom. You guys, you know, deserve it. Uh, you owe me nothing. You can do whatever you want. And then they all start hailing her as Misa, which is Giscari for uh, mother. And uh, my dictation uh, autocorrected Giscari to Chris Gary. So I think I'm going to use that from now on. So okay. uh, She tells her dragons to fly for some reason before wading out into the crowd. Uh, and the crowd decides uh, that it's time to crowd surf. Uh, like it's the 90s. And it's a goddamn Everclear concert. <laughs> And they raise her up and they start singing her praises. Uh, and she's, uh, and this is where the controversy comes in. She's a lone white figure in the sea of brown people being raised as a savior. Um, I wrote down exactly that. Thank God this white lady is here to liberate all of these <laughs> yeah. Westeros Middle Eastern people. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, God. So I've read the explanation online from actually George R. R. Martin himself. Is that um, is that they they filmed the stuff in Morocco, and so they sent out uh, they sent out a casting call for extras to be in the scene. You know they're paying them shit wages, but they're just extras, whatever. And so the kind of the people who would just show up as extras there would be, you know, kind of not doing so well. Moroccan people. It's not like there's a bunch of white people over there, and they weren't going to fly in, you know, people from Ireland or some shit like that to just fill up the scene. Well, I because mean, there's George white R. R. people Martin there because Jesus is white, obviously, and he's from around there. <laughs> and George R. R. Martin, has, uh, in the, I think it's conveyed that slavers enslaved every race. It doesn't really make a difference. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, so like the, the, this is only a product of um, a product of the population and the what what they were doing with the scene or what they were willing to pay the extras. I guess, but I, um, I have to disagree with that because like it seems like everybody in that scene was uniformly brown to make her stand out uh, from the aerial shot. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I because don't if you look at you, human but... beings, they're not black or white. They are every shade. Uh, as you get closer to the equator, usually. <laughs> I mean, there's a, uh, there's a, you know, there's a reason for it. Uh, and plus, like, this you can't be put on the showrunners because let's face it, Danny is, uh, her description is from George R. R. Martin, and it's a very Aryan uh, description of her. She's got silver hair, she's pale white, uh, has got, uh, you know, I guess purple eyes. So I guess he kind of, um, you know, made her a little bit more foreign and alien, but still. Um, it's, it's strange that he's, I guess, playing into a trope here of the Lily White, uh, savior. Um, cause it's not like Dave and Dan got this description of how Daenerys looks. Um, just, they didn't just make it up. No, I, I know. But what I'm, what I'm saying though, is there, at least their explanation is that it was not intentional. It was just a function of of actual function. Uh, I mean that you, you don't get a bunch of white people as extras over Morocco. If you put out a casting call. Yeah. And I, like and I they said, realize I, the problem, they realize the problem, but they're the only remedy would have been to specifically go after white people that live in Morocco. Uh, who I, that would I, I be an extra so. in the scene. Once again, I think they could have uh, used a little CG to like color tone those people up a little bit. <laughs> so you, so you want them to use <laughs> white face? Them? Yeah. White, white face them. <laughs> 
That's even worse. I mean, that's kind of worse. I don't know. I don't know. It, it just came, regardless, it comes off as bad. And these are, you know. No, it does look bad. Absolutely. It, it looks bad. It, yeah. Really does. Um, all right. Uh, okay. So yeah, they they mishandled it. Uh, like I said, I don't know how they could have made it better, but um, uh, they could have somehow. Uh, you know, maybe get people of the crew to be in the foreground. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> just, just had like three or four white dudes in there. Yeah, but like, just focused yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> or put out a casting goal for albino Moroccans. I guess I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it was just, but, but the whole scene is dumb too, because it's obviously like staged. So like, let's go back to the fact that this is a needless scene that was just there, uh, to serve a function that, you know, a celebratory function. Danny's great. We talk about this, especially in the later seasons, how it's just like, Danny's great. I've got dragons. Look how great I am. You know, swelling music. Um, which is why I really hope she's a bad guy. I really hope she turns <laughs> turns to evil somehow and has to be put down like a dog. All right, uh, like a mad dog, like a beagle, <laughs> a beagle with rabies. All right, so uh, let's wrap up. This is not only the end of this episode, but the end of the season. So I guess we got to do our season recap. So let's start with the episode. I'm gonna go ahead and get this a uh, oh god. Uh, I was going to give it a one and a half, but I'll give it a two. Uh, there there were some moments, good acting. Uh, it'll bring it up. So this is a 2.0, less than average for me, but uh, not awful. I'm going to give this a uh, Diamond Brand Smokehouse Albans. And uh, the explanation behind that is this episode had, I thought, some very good scenes, but then also some real garbage. What happens is like every other bag is really good. And then about half the bags don't have enough salt or enough oil, and they're really dry and kind of gross. You know what? I feel that uh, way about uh, pistachios. Like, I'll get a bad bag. Of, I, I'll be into pistachios for a while, and then I'll get a bad bag of pistachios. They're all, like, withered and gross, and I just won't I won't go back to them. But then with the almonds, it's not even a function of the actual almonds themselves. They're uniformly good. It's that, for whatever reason, they just didn't add enough salt to the mix that day. Oh, I don't know really... Yeah, I don't really get. I mean, I don't know. That's a that's a production issue. That's not an almond issue, you know. Yeah, I have a pistachio right. production issue. So, yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna interpret right, that as a. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm gonna interpret that as a three, uh, point oh. Great. Uh, probably two point five. Okay, two point five. Thank you for correcting me. You know, it's almost yeah. as if you should just use the rating to begin with, but whatever. Okay, so let's go back to uh, season three as a whole. I'm gonna say I I think my expectations were higher than they needed to be. Um, it kind of gives me hope that Jim, the guy that was a uh, uh, guest last week or the last two weeks during our Red Wedding or Reigns Casimir episode, said he's uh, he really enjoyed season four going back to it. And, I mean, there's, there's a lot of highlight, uh, you know, high points coming up in season four. We got uh, Joffrey's death. Spoiler alert, by the way, guys. We will spoil some parts of this show yeah. for you. Uh, so we got, this podcast with this warning. Oh God. So, okay. So I'm excited, I guess more excited for season four, but, uh, this season wasn't as good as I thought it was in retrospect. Do you agree? Disagree thoughts? Yeah, I agree. But I, I mean, it's all being viewed through the filter or the, through the lens of we've already seen all this stuff. There's no real big surprises. Um, so uh, on a rewatch, yeah, I, it wasn't as good as I thought it was. Oh, I thought it was going to be, but then again, 
uh, where, where are my expectations coming from? I mean, that's just a matter of management of expectations, you know? Okay, fine. Then try to be, use your imagination, try to be a, as objective as possible and think, was this an enjoyable season of television? Yes. Okay, now put a number or sandwich to that. Or you can use wraps. Or Actually, I don't know if I've done a uh, season-long sandwich comparison. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Grand Mac. I don't know, man. It's fine. It was <laughs> just fine. Stuff. Okay, well, well yeah, I, I just want to say... It like enjoyable. Okay, so, uh, just enjoyable. I'm going to say... Uh, Alright, I'll tell you what might be more useful. Where does season three rank in the six seasons that have come out? So... Uh, you don't have to put the other ones in order necessarily, but where do you think it would be? Um, you know, with one being the best. So would this would season three be the second best season of Game of Thrones? Third best? I, I, I think we need to watch four and five again. I, it, 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 there were a lot of high points, and there were a lot of uh, scenes where, hey, this might have been in the top five scenes of the entire show. But the problem is that there were a lot of lowlights that permeated the entire season. All the Shea shit, all the Ramsey shit. I mean, there were some real terrible decisions that were throughout the entire season that really dragged the thing down, I think. Um, but there are also a lot of highlights at the same time. All right, then, let's just compare the, it to the, season two. Uh, God, I don't even remember what happened in season two. <laughs> what happened? Uh, you had the Is there like a thing that I can listen to that would tell me what happened? <laughs> yeah, go back and listen to in the detail and by some annoying assholes. Basically, um, Renly had Renly had. Um... This was better. Okay. I think season three was better than two. Okay, there you go. Season three is better than season two. We came to an agreement, and I agree, hundred percent. All right, guys, yeah. uh, this podcast is a joy for us to do every week, and we love doing it. So uh, we don't need any encouragement from you to keep going. It's not in danger of stopping any moment uh, out of anger or frustration. So don't worry about that. Um, we love you guys, and uh, I guess we'll be back next Tuesday. So uh, Why do you do this at the end of an episode? <laughs> I don't know why not. Please love me. Please. <laughs> no, I guess it's just self-deprecation, I guess. Um, okay. Good. But, um, All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yep, we'll, cut, we'll cut it now. Yeah, we'll cut it Too off, and uh, we'll see you next time.